Welcome to the Sorry-Eyed Effect. I'm Steph. And I'm Jen. On this podcast, we'll be chatting about all things Williams Syndrome. The ups and downs, and what it's like living with Williams Syndrome. We're excited to share our community with you. Thanks for being here. Brendan. Hey. How are you, Jen? Good. So you're on week two of co-hosting with me. Yeah, it's a very full circle for sure. That's really cool. Is it getting easier? Gradually. (laughs) Yeah, gradually, you know, I'm settling into it. You know, it's been fun. It's kind of stressful. Yeah. Do you think? It's a little bit stressful here and there, just trying to figure out questions to ask and what topics to talk about it's getting better every time yeah we had some good conversations this week our first guest was well we know him in our community as dr marty but um, Mm -hmm. marty levinson he is a pediatrician um, who has a son with williams syndrome but also treats people with williams syndrome and he has been really instrumental in kind of shaping the WSA. He's been around since before the WSA started and and obviously um, doing a lot of work for our organization along the way. So he was fun to talk to. I enjoyed him. Yeah, it was great to see him again. Um, Dr. Marty and I were board members together and also on the research committee. So we, we worked together in the past. So it was really good to reconnect with him. Yeah, I um, forgot that that you guys do have a good relationship. Yeah, he was he was fun and funny. Stella enjoyed learning about his guinea pigs. Yeah, that was cool. That was fun. Uh, we just talked to Aaron Lombard and his sister, Courtney, or as she likes to be called, Coco. Um, they live out in Phoenix, and they are a brother and sister, and... Uh, yeah, it was really good to you know talk to Aaron because uh, Aaron and I are on board together currently. And um, yeah, his sister Coco was really cool. So uh, it was it was very fun. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, their story is really unique and they have a super fun relationship. So that was an easy conversation for us to have. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm glad you're along with us for the ride. It's been fun having you. Yeah, it's uh, it's been fun being along on the ride. Yeah, <laughs> it's been great. It's been wonderful. You're like, it's something, it's something. <laughs> well, let's get into it. Let's get into our guest today. Hello, Dr. Marty. Hi. It's nice to meet you. And you too, Stella. Can you tell Dr. Marty how old you are? 12. 12. And you were kind of excited to meet Dr. Marty today, right? Yeah. Yeah, you like you like doctor stuff, so you have. I'm sure you'll have a host of questions yeah. for for Doctor Marty. Um, but can you tell him really quick before we start? Who is your favorite pet in this house? My guinea pigs. Guinea pigs. Gotta be kidding! My son Josh has two guinea pigs, and they are his oh. favorites. What's your guinea pig's name? Bacon bits and pipsqueak. Awesome. 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 We'll have to compare guinea pigs later on. Yeah. So, you know, Josh, who is 43, named his guinea pigs after the daughters of his occupational therapist. 
That's how, that's how close they've become over the many years. Yeah. Um, so what are their names? Their names are Manon and Jossie. Super cute. I knew that your son was a big guinea pig fan. So like leading up to this conversation, there's been a whole, uh-huh. whole discussion about guinea pigs. So Dr. Marty, we are excited to have you on the podcast today. Brandon and I and Stella, our impromptu guests. Um, we, would you, for those of you, we know you, but for those of you who don't know you, can you just give us a little brief bio about who you are? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I go by Dr. Marty, uh, Marty Levinson is my name. I'm a pediatrician in the Detroit area and I have four sons and the oldest of my sons, Josh, uh, has Williams syndrome and is 43 years old. Uh, so I've been in the Williams business for, uh, quite a long time. And because of my experience and because of my interest and what's become expertise, I consult with Williams patients all over the globe just because uh, I can. And people have the ability to reach me generally through the WSA. So I have tons of experience. Uh, I teach medical students uh, through uh, Oakland University Medical School. And they're with me almost every week. And I usually tell them that I average one Williams patient a week in my office. Last week, by coincidence, we had three in a matter of two days. It just was wow. a coincidence. So um, my students all get to see Williams patients. And Josh and I, for about 10 years, uh, go to the medical school together. And we lecture the first-year students uh, about Williams syndrome. So they all remember it because it's the first time they've actually laid eyes on a patient. Usually they've just been in a lecture after lecture after lecture, and now they get to see a patient. And the first patient they get to see is a young man with Williams syndrome. I do the play-by-play, -play and Josh sort of does the color commentary. And every year it's different, as you can imagine. So Josh was how old when he was diagnosed with Williams? So he was just under a year of age. Um, and this was a real odyssey for us because we didn't have the fish test yet. There were no uh, criteria that were the established criteria. We were actually, uh, for years until we discovered the elastin gene location, we were trying to come up, when I say we, I mean researchers from all over the world, were trying to put their heads together and define what is Williams syndrome? And in our odyssey, we actually had an experience where in a two-week period, we saw four different specialists, two of whom said, I believe he has Williams syndrome, and two of whom said he definitely does not have Williams syndrome. Uh, so it was quite an ordeal for us personally, professionally. Um, at that time, believe it or not, the literature suggested that there were probably no more than 100 people with Williams syndrome in the United States of America. Uh, so obviously we know that that is way, way, way off. They also, at that time, we had some very good geneticists who said, you know, just to be safe, you should assume you have a one in three chance of having another child with Williams syndrome, which was, again, totally false information. Uh, but that's what was available in you know, 1980. So it's been a, a long ride. It has been a long ride. Um, so really, Josh being 43 and WSA being 41, I mean, you have been a part of not only Williams syndrome, but like our evolution of Williams syndrome. Absolutely. And what we, know so about. we did a lot of research at the time. I 
I just personally, you know, this was pre-internet, obviously, and we, I just called up everybody who had published anything about Williams syndrome to just try to glean whatever information I could. We discovered that there was a small fledgling family organization that was outside. Uh, it, it was coming from California. So we wrote to them and asked for information. This was before the WSA was, was established. We got a packet of information that, believe it or not, we were very unhappy with. Um, it presented Williams syndrome, in our opinion, in a very negative way. And we wrote them back saying, you know what, this is not how we look at it. And if this is how this organization approaches it, then we'd rather not be part of it. Um, and then we got a nice letter back saying, you know what, we thought about it and you're right, and we need to change our approach to families. And again, this was before the WSA was actually an organization. Uh, the first meeting I went to, someone will have to tell me when it was, it was in San Diego. There were about 60 uh, participants there at a motel in San Diego. Uh, and it's the first time that I met other people that had children with Williams syndrome. It was an eye-opening experience for me. Uh, since then, the WSA has been established, and uh, it obviously took off when uh, when Terry Moncaba became the executive mm -hmm. director and really brought it uh, to where it is uh, today. And Terry, of course, has recently retired, but the organization has been uh, amazingly growing. I've had the honor of being on the board. I was on the board with Brendan for a number of years, which was uh, yeah. a true pleasure for me uh, to do that. And the research committee, too. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so I try to keep my finger on the pulse of everything that's going on, just so that when people approach me, I can have hopefully the latest information. And more importantly, I don't know everything, but I know people who know more than I do. And I know who to go to when there are questions that are beyond my abilities to answer. I love that you're like, we reached out to this organization and we didn't like what they had to say. That was, that organization was kind of the impetus for the WSA. Was that what created? I would call it the pre, because then I remember something interesting though. Um, at that time, before we had the fish study that we discovered in 1993, um, we were trying to get to as many people as we could to let people know there is an organization, albeit small. Uh, at that time, Williams syndrome was diagnosed probably more often by cardiologists than by geneticists at the time. A lot of people yep. just never went to geneticists and the cardiologists, because so many of the kids had heart issues, not universal, but many did. And there were the unusual ones, the SVAS, that the cardiologists were the ones who recognized this uh, even ahead of time. And what we were able to do is I was able to convince the Academy of Pediatrics Division of Car Pediatric Cardiology to allow us to put a one-page flyer into their quarterly mailing to every pediatric cardiologist in the country. And we put together a flyer at the meeting in Chicago. We had four mm -hmm. pictures of people. Josh was one of the people in the picture, and we had bullet points about what it is and said, if you have any patients, please put them in touch with this uh, organization. And within about three months, uh, if I'm not mistaken, we doubled our population of families. We went from 300 to like 600 families 
because of the power of sending that information out. And again, this was all snail mail before the internet, before we could do all the social media, et cetera. Uh, so those were big steps. Those were real big steps. And, real big steps for sure. And once the WSA was established, it just kept getting more and more people uh, interested uh, we found researchers who were interested in Williams syndrome because, frankly, our group of uh, children and adults are a fun group of people to research. Okay, uh, so it's enjoyable as well as fascinating because uh, when I lecture about Williams syndrome, one of the things I say is that separate from being a dad, this is a fascinating condition where we are translating this micro deletion into the behavior and physical and uh, emotional profile that is so very strongly resembled from one patient to another. We know it's not universal, not everybody is the same, uh, but there are so many similarities, it's fascinating. So but, am I right in saying that what, like 20 years before, like was it like until he was 20, you really didn't officially know? No, it was 93, so he was, uh, 13 or 14. I tell people you can't blame the doctors for not knowing a ton about it. No. To me, the mm. expectation of the doctors is the willingness to investigate and to send you to the right people. Um, just recognize that something is off and it needs to be investigated. Mm. Um, and, then, you know, basically, you know, through my experience with Williams, I, I've established a practice. I'm a general pediatrician, but I see a very high number of patients, kids, and even young adults with neurodiverse diagnoses. And some of them are even less common than Williams. And I'm not a true expert on them. The parents know more about it than I do. And that's perfectly yes. fine because we're a team. We work together. And um, again, it's my willingness to learn what I can about it and send them to the right people. Um, you know, it's teamwork. Interestingly, I, I will share with you that um, uh, when Josh was recently, unfortunately, uh, in the hospital for a bad pneumonia infection, when we came in through the emergency room, the attending physician was taking a history and I started to tell him about Williams syndrome. And he said, oh, I know all about Williams syndrome, which really surprised me. And I said, how do you yeah. know about Williams syndrome? And he said, oh, you and Josh came and lectured my class when I was in first year medical school. I didn't realize we'd been doing it that long to get from when we started doing it to go through all of medical school, all of his training as a ER resident to become an, an ER attending physician. So this is the impact you can have on people. Isn't it funny how the stars align sometimes like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you probably, I'm, I'm guessing, you were really instrumental in the WSA, like helping develop that medical profile that people use for um, like, we have one that we gave to our um, general pediatrician, right? Cause they didn't know anything about Williams syndrome. And so it's like here. Those are really useful. I was involved okay. with the first one that came out, I think in 2001, I tell people all the time, print it up, bring it to your doctor. Your doctor will appreciate it. What kind of work are you doing today with Williams syndrome? You said you lecture, you and Josh still lecture um, quite frequently, but where, where do you see that heading? I mean, is the goal to continue to drive that awareness? Is it? Oh, I think there are, there are so many goals. I mean, awareness is one. 
I mean, if you mm. think about it, I don't know what the latest numbers are in terms of how many families are associated with the WSA, but if you think about it, statistically, there should be 30,000 people in the United States with Williamson. Mm. So clearly, there are a lot of people who we've not connected with. Now, some of those people have probably never been diagnosed mm -hmm. in the first place. And then there's a whole subgroup of people who've been diagnosed, but nobody's hooked them up with the WSA, which is such a wonderful organization to get information on that you can share with medical people, that you can share with your schools, that you can share with therapists that will make their life so much easier and more effective at working with our kids and adults. The organization has just become so professional. They've formed uh, teamwork with researchers, uh, with uh, organizations that supply funding. I mean, we always need more funding, you know that. Uh, and we wanna do as much research as we can so that we're taking away the guesswork and we are dealing with things that become more predictable. Uh, to me, knowledge is power. The more information you know about it, even if it doesn't apply to every single patient, it's still valuable information to go forward with. I feel supported as a parent because I have all of this information coming behind me that has been well-researched, well-documented, coming from people that are um, you know, smarter than me. And I feel like that that helps whoever it is that I'm interacting with feel like I'm not just a crazy mom who's like <laughs> asking them to do stuff that's like unreasonable for my kid. Well, you may still be a crazy mom. I don't know you well enough yes, to know. Um, but the reality of it is that this is extremely valuable because a lot of times, especially decades ago, parents would present information to educators and therapists. And at that time, the educators and therapists were a little reluctant to accept it because they said, I think this is just the mom and dad's opinion. Exactly. And exactly. by dealing with the WSA and getting up-to-date information that is now readily available, you can present teachers, educators, therapists with the most effective way to work with our kids to get the best bang for 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 the all the effort that we put into it. I mean, the whole idea of early intervention is to get as much out of it as you can. And to families of younger kids, I will just say to you, I'm jealous that you have the advances in technology that you can take advantage of now that I wish I would have had when, when Josh was a youngster um, that mm -hmm. would have been useful in helping him. The other thing I'll say is that, you know, the learning curve for Williams syndrome does not plateau. It keeps growing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So even into, you know, adolescence and adulthood, I observe people picking up new skills. So you don't want to sell them short. You don't want to go to the other extreme either. You don't want to have blinders on that you don't recognize that your child or adult has issues that have to be addressed. But selling them short is 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 very important to avoid. One of the problems intrinsically is that there's such a range of what's available in one educational system versus another. The other thing to point out is that even though there are so many similarities across the board, each child is unique. Yeah. Uh, so you can't just create a cookie cutter that says every single person with Williams syndrome has to go through this process. Um, that's not to say that there isn't some information that's useful in that regard, but you also have to find, you have to address the individual. For sure. I was diagnosed late when I was 13 
so yeah, the school aspect of it was pretty rough, you know, especially with the special education part of it. You know, I was doing special education and also in regular classes and some of the teachers didn't understand. And so like if I would turn in work like a daily, I would get half the grade. I, I feel like I have to make a comment. Not every person with Williams syndrome is that busy, uh, especially <laughs> since the pandemic. Okay. Okay. And that's a, a, a real pitfall for many families is to, uh, you know, once your educational system is completed, what else are you going to do with your life? Yes. yes. Strongly believe there's a place for everyone in our society if our mm. society recognizes it and does the right thing. Okay. And doing the right thing meaning uh, means finding the right place for everybody. Luckily for our group of people, the Williams population, there are so many strengths. Yes, yes, there are issues. The anxiety is an issue. There are physical issues, but it's not like they can't be overcome to an extent to make them have uh, a valuable place in our society. I feel like that those people who do have activities are very busy, right? But there is other individuals with Williams syndrome and other disabilities who are not and could be, but, you know, because they don't have access to resources um, in their community, it's a big barrier for them. And that's why I think will the Williams syndrome association and all the work that you guys are all doing right collectively, whether depending on what field you're in is really important because like I said, I want Stella to have access to more opportunities than, um, many folks have today. And I want her to be so busy in her adult life that, <laughs> you know, we have problems the other way. Maybe I shouldn't be wishing for that now, but we'll see when we get there. Um, do you see that being a focus for the WSA as we go forward? I mean, what if- I think that's a huge focus, uh, trying to connect with the most number of people we can. I hope that everybody yes. who listens to this podcast, who's watching this podcast, at least has a connection with the WSA. I'm not saying how connected you have to be. It doesn't have to be your lifeline for everything, but you should have uh, a connection. You know, the direction that it's going, it's, it, it is really a premier organization, uh, in my opinion. Um, I've talked to people from other organizations around the country, and uh, we are very well respected um, as an organization. I, I agree. I mean, it was, it has been so fundamentally important for us and our journey. And I know it's been an, a great experience for you, Brendan, to be on the board and being that voice of those who have Williams syndrome. And to your point, Marty, like, you know, 40 years ago, right, it's, it started and it's evolved and we have to like tee up that next generation of leaders and advocates and self-advocates to do this work because there's still a lot of growth in the community that needs to happen. I'll throw out one other thing, Jen, that, you know, actively being involved is not everybody's cup of tea and that's okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Just like going to the conventions, some people get a lot out of them and some people it's just not, uh, it's not what they need at this particular stage of their life. But everyone should experience it. Everyone should experience a convention just to see what you're getting out of it in terms mm -hmm. of the knowledge that you're learning, in terms of the camaraderie. Listen, the reality of it is that all of us here share something that we would otherwise not share. 
you know, Jen, you seem like a very nice person, but if we didn't have the Williams syndrome uh, tie together, we might not really have any kind of relationship. And yet we have a very strong relationship, even though I don't know you right. because of our shared experiences. But everyone should find out where it fits for them in particular. It's it's really cool what you and your son Josh do by going to the you know the medical students and speaking to them because I uh, recently got involved with the uh, Westchester Institute for Human Development and they asked me to go to a medical college and speak to first year students uh, about one syndrome and they didn't really know anything about it so it it was really cool experience so yeah That's awesome. we're all done with our podcast what do you say. When we're done. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe maybe when I come to visit my son in Denver, we'll have a chance to get together one time. Yeah. You could introduce him to your guinea pig. All right. I want to say hello to Aaron and Courtney. And thank thank you for uh, being on the show. And um, yeah, why don't you guys introduce? Yeah. Uh, Hi, I'm Courtney Lombard. Yes, I'm Aaron Lombard. Uh, uh, Courtney is my sister, my only sister who has Williams syndrome. Uh, she was, we're trying to, you know, uh, get the timeline straight, but she was diagnosed roughly around four or five around that time. Um, so we're originally from New Orleans and uh, been in Phoenix. This is a quick version of it, but I'm in Phoenix now. I've been in Phoenix for 23 years and Courtney and my mother have been here since 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. That's wonderful. Um, so Coco, you were telling us, so 45, you were diagnosed when you were a little itty bitty thing at four or five. Yes, um, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Tell, do you remember that process or Aaron, do you, have you heard about that? Cause you were also a little uh, itty bitty, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from, from what my mother and father, uh, from what my mother tells me and my father, um, when we were a lot younger, um, when she was first born, we, we didn't know. I know there was some heart uh, issues or what have you. Um, so that was the first telltale sign. But we didn't, Williams was, you know, had been recognized. It was so much in his infancy. Then um, there was so much unknown. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have a lot of the resources we have. So I, it's my understanding that no one really knew. So a, guy, a gentleman that my dad worked with, his daughter sort of figured it out. And we need to find her to thank her. Because, you know, we probably would have gone a very long time, even though it's interesting, because even though we found out that diagnosis, we just knew a name. We didn't know anything else, really, besides the history of heart condition. We stumbled upon Williams, the association in 2020. So this this is like saying all that to say that this has been interesting because this is all new to, to this is new as in less than three years, you know, for the, when we were at the convention, um, which she has a shirt on right now with the convention, um, that was the first time known to us that she had been around any other individuals with Williams at, at 45 years old. She had just turned 45. That's amazing. Well, Coco, tell us about like your life growing up. You lived in New Orleans. My life was growing up was very, very, um, very good. School life for me was good. You know, I had a lot of homework and stuff like that. St. Michael's was like a a school for special kids. I graduated when I was 22. 
Awesome. I read from my graduation. Yeah. You went, you went, you graduated from there. And then what did you do after? What have you been doing after school? Well, after I graduated from this, after I graduated from St. Michael's, I went to a center in Marrero, yeah. like a center called uh, Project Step. So she went there until 2018. Mm-hmm. And then then got here, and it's kind of an interesting story how we stumbled upon Williams, because then moving here, we we ran into some challenges, which forced me to to, to, to sort of get involved. Tell us, that's a perfect segue. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So um, um, my mom was coming to visit, you know, frequently, and she's retired now, so she decided to, um, you know, hey, you know what, just I'm going to come out here. So they've been out here since 2018. Mm-hmm. Well, Everything in New Orleans was always taken care of. Um, she was already in the system with the state. We never had to come out of pocket for any kind of um, programs or what have you. And then we get here. And again, I'm just assuming our mother's going to handle everything. She tried her best too. We just assume, hey, we just transfer paperwork. Is that easy? Um, go through this process of interviewing with state officials. Or I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the, the term. Yep. Um, and then we get to, they get to the last step. I'm not involved at this point. I'm like, okay, my mom has it taken care of. We get to the end and it was the last person, right? It was the last uh, person who was going to stamp off on everything with, um, the state to get, to get her, uh, to get the state to approve her going to a program. She had already met with people at the program she's at now. Mm -hmm. They loved her and said, you'd be perfect for us. Got to the finish line, and this this woman, this individual says, "Nope, you're too independent. You know, you can go there, but the state isn't going to pay for." It. And so I start looking at different resources. Then I stumbled upon uh, WSA, which was okay. a whole new world for me. I was like, "Wait, yeah. what is you know what is this?" I was excited that the convention was going to be here in 2020, but then it got canceled, of course, because of the pandemic. Um, right. Yeah, and then with that. That's what I, I believe they started the Zoom calls or what have you. I got a membership, started the Zoom calls. And so now she does on Saturdays, mm-hmm. she does the Zoom, the breakout Zoom calls with the, the dream team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is yes. that is legitimately the highlight Fine. of her week. Yes. Every Saturday. Yes. Fine. I love it. I believe there it. are a lot I... of good people on the dream team, for sure. Yeah. Are you a dream team? No. I'm... He's not qualified. Okay. He's under 40. <laughs> yeah, I'll be 36 in August. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'm not there yet, but I will get there eventually. <laughs> got plenty of years. Enjoy your youth. Well, I remember meeting you both at convention, and um, it was your first time at convention yeah. and being around all these people with Williams syndrome. Yeah. I know it was like deeply impactful, but maybe you can share with everybody who wasn't there, like. You go from not being around anybody with Williams syndrome all your life to a hotel full thousands. A whole new world. I loved it from beginning to end to take the truth. I loved everything about it and um, the dance too. It was fun. I felt welcomed. I felt Good. overwhelmed with you know overwhelmed with happiness, and I felt really welcomed. You know. I mean, just, you know, it was it was just everybody was so sweet and nice and kind, you know? It was pretty overwhelming. Um, you know, a lot of the breakout sessions, uh, overwhelming in a good way because, you know, it makes you, um, it gives you perspective to think, okay, you know what? Um, I really thought I was doing enough. 
but um, I can. There's room for growth in everything, and we can do more. And so since then, we've had some conversations. It's interesting um, when we went. Uh, we had the board retreat, um, and I was talking to another member, Meredith Green, who's amazing, and she was. You know, we we talked about what's the next step, what happens next. And, you know, it is, it is somewhat terrifying, but also refreshing to know that there are other people that, that are going to challenge you on that stuff, because at the end of the day, it's for the betterment of Courtney. It's for the betterment of Coco. So um, we talked about some things, succession and whatnot. And so those are things we still need. My mother and I need to, to, to um, tidy up and, and put a bow on it and finalize. But without that experience at the convention, I would think that what we had was enough. And, you know, it was brought to my attention that it's really not that I need to do more. It's really amazing that we have this comprehensive resource. And now you're on the board. Yes. You suckered you in. <laughs> you, you did. I, I don't know how it happened. I mean, you, you guys must like underqualified people, but somehow. <laughs> Extremely qualified people. Look at Coco cheering you on. We'll give her the credit for that. Yeah. She was telling us before we started this podcast, she said she encouraged you to do it. Tell us that story. Well, what happened was, okay, I have a, well, both of us have a friend and family named Don, right? So she sort of like encouraged him too, like, because I told him, I'm like, you can do this, Aaron. I'm like, I need you. And I would like you to, I'm like, I want you to do this, please. I'm like, and then he was like, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. Well, he sort of got a little bit upset with me because I was just bragging. You know, I like to brag on him doing a good job. It's just that, and I'm bragging her. And I just want, I just wanted him to know that I'm proud of him. That's all I wanted, you know, mm-hmm. to be proud of him, knowing, and, you know, knowing that he could do it. And yes, I'm sensitive about that because I just want him to know that I'm very, very proud of him. Mm-hmm. And I'm proud of you. But you could be. And she pushed me over the finish line to go for I'm like, boy, like if you don't. Had a girl, Coco. Telling you. She was on me pretty hard. Yes, I was. Coco, what is life like for you today? Like, what are things that you like to do? And do you like that heat in Arizona or is it no, too hot? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. It's a loaded you know, question. Just being honest with you, no, ma'am. And what I like to do, I like to sing. I like to dance. I like okay. to play on the phone. I like to... Go to the movies. I like to uh, watch watch TV. TV a lot, a lot. And you are doing your program now. You guys are set up to do that, or it's still in process in Arizona. Um, I I go to a center like on Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays and Fridays. Yeah. So we um the original center that she was going to excel here um. She goes, we just, we just paid. We just, we bit the bullet and, and, you know, we, we needed, in all honesty, she had the toughest time adjusting here, you know, um, you know, she was out of her comfort zone. She was in New Orleans for, you know, 40 plus years. Um, There's friends, there's family, so on and so forth. Um, My mother was in heaven because she was around her grandbabies and whatnot. But, you know, uh, to be honest, you know, that was, there was, there wasn't much for, for Coco to do. Um, so it just came, you know, push came to shove and it's like, we have to make a decision here. It was something that, that, um, you know, we could afford to do within reason. So she doesn't go as frequent as she did in New Orleans, as far as it was like a eight to three, eight to four, whatever. But she goes for a couple hours a day, a couple of days a week. Um, 
And it, this scent has been really good. I'll let her tell you about it, but uh, it's been good for yeah, her nice. because it gives her other experiences other than being cooped up in the house and not doing anything, not being familiar with Arizona. So she's meant some really good pieces there. Mm-hmm. They're very nice and they're very fine. What's their name? Do you want to give them a shout out? Do you like them that much? Yes, I do. Ooh, Hello, Miss Mary. Hello, Miss Helen. Hello, Mr. Matt. Hello, Mr. Matthew. Hello, Miss uh, Latasha. Hello, Miss Michelle. And hello, Miss um, Unique. Oh, that's wonderful. What kind of stuff do you do? We go to the movies. We go bowling. We go to the antique store. We go to Walmart. What else do we do? We do crafts. We do, like, every now and then, like, we uh, have, like, hot dogs and stuff like that. Like, they treat us to things like that every once in a while. I can tell you, they this, I, I'm blown away because I always have to ask, you know, um, well, how's it going over there? And then my mom will always tell me that they go, um, they went and did this and did that. So it's way more interactive, I would say, outside of the center. Then yeah. in New Orleans, she just kind of went there and they did, you guys did stuff every once in a while. Yeah. But here it is weekly. Yeah. It is a weekly, it is a weekly thing um, where they're constantly doing activities, getting them out um, of the facility, which is a good thing. We wanted mm-hmm. to be out. We wanted to be active. Yeah. You know? And we go to the mall too. They do laps. Oh, they do laps around the mall. <laughs> Right on. Um, well, I think one of the things that is you probably will learn as you get into this, I think one of the other things that you bring value and perspective to is that question mark. A lot of families have it, like my family does too, of like, I feel like um, when we first found out Stella was diagnosed with Liam syndrome, I was like, okay, we just need to like move to a place and then we need to stay there for the rest of our life, right? But now that she's like older, it's like, well, maybe like we don't want to stay here for the rest of her life. But then I'm scared, right? Because it's like, well, you you create, and just like it sounds like your family did, right? Like you were very important part of that life in New Orleans. And then we pick you up out of it and take you to a whole other place. That is a very hard discussion, decision um, process for a lot of families with Williams syndrome, not, not just yours. So I think what you'll you'll find is you guys do get more settled in and you get, you know, you've only been there, what now, five years? Yeah, yeah, you go five in August. Yeah, I mean, probably, like, you're going to pick up a lot of things along the way and and you'll be able to share that perspective. Because right now I think about it and it's, like, scares me to death. I'm like, how could we, I even think, like, I've been thinking about this because Stella's 12, um, like, we either have to, like, move her now when she hasn't, like, you know, been here that long or we have to, like, never move that's how like you know extreme i feel about it because i just cannot imagine picking her up and moving her at 30 years old i don't know what that'll look like but people do it all the time and you guys are an example of that it's proving to be very successful jen really quick it's um ironically enough this happened within the last 72 hours 48 72 courtney my mom went to new orleans um for 10 days for mother's day um now again courtney had a she had a really it it was tough it was tough in the beginning there adjusting here so the thought the process was you know and her i want to go home i want to go home i want to see the family this and that um some kind of way the tide turned a little bit um unbeknownst to us when they were there she actually told my mom what did you tell mom 
I, I just wanted to come back. Like, I just felt really, really, I don't know, like for some reason, I I wasn't feeling well. I wanted to come back home for, I mean, I wanted Aaron for, I don't know what it was, but I don't know. I guess, like, when you leave and then you have to adjust to certain things when you leave, and then when you come back, it's like, uh-uh, like, Something about this just ain't right. So I'm like, Ma, I said, can we just, like, can we just leave, please? She's like, why? She's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't know. I just want it. I don't know. It's just weird. Yeah. Like She wanted to come home. Yeah. And before, when she said she wanted to go home, she was referencing New Orleans. But it I turned. Know, it, and when they were in New Orleans, she told my mom, I'm ready to go home, with home being Arizona. I'm like, that's just so off for some reason. I'm like, is it just me or is it me and you? She's like, no, it's just you. I'm like, okay. Like my mom was know. my mom was having a good time with her twin sister. So she's a little caught up. Yeah, I wasn't gonna ruin that uh, but I you know, I just felt I don't know, strange about it for some reason. I don't know. I guess it's because, you know, I've been there so long and you know, stuff like that and you know, basically the basic stuff, I guess. I don't I don't know. Yeah, I get it. Um, you make it, right? Yeah. You yeah, get it I get too. it. Yeah. Get it. Um, yeah. Because I started eighth grade in a brand new town, moved to a brand new city, you know, was there for 15, 16 years. Mm -hmm. And then I've been in this house for almost seven years. And it's, it's so eerie, weird going back sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. Yeah. I can yep. understand. But it was just strange to me for some reason. I don't know what it was, though. But I feel much better now, you know. With Do you live together? Do you live together? No. Somewhat. Well, somewhat. Somewhat. So um, I have two, you know, I, as I mentioned before, I have two young kids. We're split home. Um, their mother and I co-parent very well. Uh, and I have them half the time. So, uh Courtney and my mom, they live um, about 10 or 15 minutes from here. Uh, but my mom is okay. my support system. Um, I have a very flexible job. I'm in, and, I'm in sales. I'm in and out of the house. Um, and so my mother helps me out tremendously. My mother and Courtney help me out. Mm -hmm. um, and we're very fortunate. I have enough room to where they're, they're here full time when I have the kids. Um, so uh, it's a situation where my house goes from zero to 100. And 100 back to zero, um, a few, you know, a couple of times, you know, uh, so one week, two days, one day, one week, five days. So as of right now, um, I got the kids Wednesday. I'll have them through Monday. So, yes, they will be living. We will be living together <laughs> um, until Monday. And so that has been interesting as well, because we, you know, you go from growing up together in the same house, a big gap of, of you know, 20 years, 20, 25 years. Then all of a sudden you find yourself. Um, tapping back into your childhood, like when you were kids, <laughs> with all of us living together. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and do you have a good relationship, Coco, with your um? Is it niece and nephew, nieces, nephews? Niece and nephew, one yeah. of each. One of each. Yeah. I mean, we get. I mean, we get along and not get along, but that's just how it is, you know. They always they like to they like to mess with each other, and they're both sensitive. So whenever okay. the other one is getting over a little too much. Whenever one is getting over too much, the other one is like, oh, I don't like it anymore. I don't want to play anymore. You know, so they go back and forth. Yeah. But I will tell you this. Um, my kids, they they love they love Auntie Coco and they love Nana. That's the term for my mother. 
and my kids, they, you guys were gone for 10 days. Um, my kids took it very hard. They were, they were, you know, we, I have notes all over the house of them. Like we miss Nana. We miss Nana. Try to tell them I'm not chopped liver. Um, and then apparently with part of Coco missing home was her missing them as well. Yes. So, yes. That's wonderful. Well, I know Coco, you wanted to share with our audience, like you just about Williams syndrome. And we said, when we first started this, we said, what do you want to share with the audience about your journey? Um, do you want to finish us off by telling us? Yes. I want everyone around the world to know what it is like to have Williams syndrome and there's no shame in it. It's a condition that people have. And I just feel like, you know, that people who have the same thing that we have, everyone should be able to like get along with each other, you know, and love each other no matter what. It doesn't matter what, what kind of condition you have, you know, and I just think that everyone around, you know, around the world should know that it's okay to be different. There's no shame in that either. And that's, so, that's my, that's my, that's the way I, I feel, you know. That's your message. That's my message. <laughs> love, love one another and be Absolutely. kind to one another. I'm so yeah. glad that you found, you found this community of people because you are special and you are important and I don't want you to feel different because there's so many, my daughter included, so many people like you and you have so much to offer. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm glad okay. that you both are in the Williams syndrome family now and you always were, but like officially now you're, now you're in now that you've done this podcast. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we finally made it. We finally made it. We finally made, made it. You made it. Yeah. Brendan yeah. and Jen made it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Brendan, do you have any other questions? Are you all good? Well, I'm good. I'm, I can't, I can't wait to see you in uh, Phoenix, Coco, and I can't wait to see you again, Aaron. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a blast. Convention, I yeah, I mentioned the convention was canceled in 2020. It's going to be uh, here in 2024, so we are very excited. and want to encourage everyone yes, to, to come. Yes, please come. Yes, let's go. go. And have fun. fun. It's going to be a blast. I love Arizona, so I'll be there. Happy. Yep. It's in July, and I'll be happy that it's 120 in July. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to The Starry-Eyed Effect, presented by the Williams Syndrome Association. The show is hosted by Jennifer Keaton and Stephanie Karen, and produced by me, Joel Lispin. Theme song by Tommy Barbarella and Mariella Elm. Got a question for Steph and Jen? Email us at podcast at williams-syndrome.org. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and maybe it will get featured on a future episode. Make sure to like and subscribe to The Starry-Eyed Effect wherever you get your podcast delights.